1: Okay, everybody. It's a rainy Wednesday in West Point, Mississippi. Welcome uh, out of the mole hole. We've got uh, we've got a, a, a really interesting audience here today. We've got some guests back. Kind of looking around the room. We've got royalty in here. Mr. Oh man, get out of here! Mr. I mean, Bill Duke. Of oh, Duke I, thought you, I thought you were talking about me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have we do have Dudley Phelps sitting here with us, Matt, We've also got on the on the couch. We've got some professional trappers. We've got Karen and Dave Linkhart, and they're from Ohio, but they're working in Louisiana right now. And I think we were fortunate enough to get them to drive over and. I mean, I think everybody's going to learn. We're going to learn a lot about trapping today. We're going to get a lot of uh, advice and counsel. And and these guys uh, are serious serious trappers. Bill, why don't you just take a second and tell us a little bit
3: about them? I'll be glad to. So, Dave and Karen, when I was thinking about who we should get here that's really a good personality and can learn a lot from, I thought of them first. Uh, They've been together and trapping together. For a long, long time, Dave's been trapping for sixty-two years. I don't know how old he is, but <laughs> but, but I, any- I started at eleven. I bet you started early.
1: He's got a great radio voice, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yep. and he looks like a trapper. Well, fit the part. And, unusual combination, I know. I don't think he's seen a razor blade
4: for a long time. When's the last time you shaved? August, nineteen seventy-two. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. I was negative four
5: years old.
1: (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Bill. I'm sorry.
3: Okay. So uh, Dave's been a trapper for 62 years, uh, has a degree in natural resources education, and his partner in life uh, and his wife, Karen, she is uh, right there by his side. Uh, She's been trapping with him since they started dating, and they just make a fantastic pair of trappers. Uh, we've known them in our family for a long time because uh, they're involved with the National Trappers Association. They are the national and international affairs uh, coordinator for the National Trappers Association. Uh, they live in Zeni, Ohio, and uh, they farm grain, beef, buffalo. And um,
1: as a team, I think they're just fantastic people to have with us. Well, me- meeting them prior to this, I was just uh, it, it, there. There's there's a lot of knowledge right here, I can tell you. And I I don't know that I've ever met a husband and wife trapper team. Yeah,
3: well, and and I think that's one of the great things about about a husband and wife trapping team. They can bring other women into it that maybe hadn't had any experience with trapping, and they they learn things from each other. I mean, I guess a man can teach his wife how to do something, but sometimes it's better. I know Karen's worked one on one with a lot of women trappers, and and they learn sometimes better because they can get on that same level. And yeah. Bill,
4: I'm going to turn that around yep. a little bit. Yep. Yes, the wife can learn from the husband, but the husband can learn from the wife too. That too. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, uh, since yeah, my wife's listening. I've, I've learned.
5: I've learned a lot. <laughs> yeah. I've learned already. a ton from my wife Kelly. <laughs>
1: yeah. Give still us learning an every give day. Us, give us one example,
5: Dudley. <laughs> I've learned that I'm apparently a pretty forgetful
1: person. She's taught me that a lot. Yeah, we could have taught we could have been. So look, let's let's park it just for one second. We got a little business to tend to first and we always talk about blood on the biologic. We're kind of wrapping up hunting season here in Mississippi and across the south, guys. Y'all probably y'all's hunting has probably been out for I'm guessing since Christmas.
2: Uh we just had muzzleloader season. It,
1: Boy, I bet it's cold up there on that I, It
2: is. Um, numbers were down a little bit. I, I saw the harvest report earlier today.
1: Well, we like to kind of call out the, the, a lot of the young people that are killing their first critters and, 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 and whatnot. And so we, we got a few here. Maybe not everybody's their, their first critter, but uh, boy, that... Uh, I hope I don't mispronounce. Kipton, France. I've been watching them on the Jury Outdoors for a long time. Mm-hmm. They're from Alabama, and and and, and so it, it, uh, it's just a, I think that Steve's son. It's just an, a really neat looking deer. It was an old old deer up from that. They called him Paw Paw. But uh, congratulations to Kipton. That's uh, that, that's really good a neat job deal.
5: on getting Paw That's awesome.
1: Yeah, Dudley, you want to tell us about Charlie? Well, Charlie, I, I refer to
5: him as cuz. We kind of have a little inside <laughs> joke, and uh, we refer to each other. Even though we're not related, we're we're cousins. But uh, he's a good buddy of mine, and uh, he killed a good
1: buck the other day. He sure so, did. That's not his first. But, no. but Yeah, we're real proud of Charlie. Proud of you, Charlie. I wanted to tell everybody. Now, Bill, you get a kick out of this. Nobody else in the room knows about this. Max looking at me like, "What's?" we have a new phone number here, and it's – the, uh, it's designed so people listening to the podcast can call in with ideas about what we—podcast ideas or television show ideas, magazine ideas, any, anything along those lines. So you can call 662-495-9264 and leave us an idea. How about how great is that? That's a, that's a pretty good idea, mm-hmm. Dudley. Yeah. So instead of email, you just leave your voice— and then we might even use your voice to uh, explain what we're about to talk about if you leave a good enough little message for us. So, so it's 662-495-9264 if you want to leave us a podcast idea, and we'll be checking those out. And uh, we'd appreciate it if you would. So with that done, I'm going to say let's talk trapping. And if we could, everybody's wearing NTA shirts. So what is what is National Trapping Association?
4: Yes, it is. National Trappers Association been around for many years. And uh, as Bill indicated, we work part-time for that organization uh, as ambassadors for trapping. We've done lobbying in Washington, D.C. We've attended uh, meetings in New York City in the fur industry. Uh, we do leadership training uh, different places around the country as well and media relations. So those are just some of the things we do there. So National Trappers has been around a long time. Even longer, some of the state trapping associations have been around. We're also active in our state trappers, Ohio State Trappers Association. So uh, that that's just kind of our passion. Like he said, we we farm for a living and kind of semi-retired now. I'm getting old enough. I can slow down on that, turn that over to some younger people and have more time to trap Fun. and to talk about trapping, too. And and Karen and I have been doing that for the National Trappers Association since 2009, wasn't it?
2: I think so. Yeah, I guess a lot longer than what we realized.
4: Yeah. So you went trapping
1: with him on a date. I did. And, and fell in love I with did. him and watching him set these. <laughs>
2: so so I first met him at four h camp. I was twelve. He was eighteen. He was on staff as the naturalist, and my best friend and I followed him around, like all the little girls at camp. But then we would see him every year at our at our fair. And um, when I was in college, he asked a bunch of questions. I didn't know why. Discreetly
4: th- <laughs> determining whether she was of legal age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was smart.
2: <laughs> and um, so we started dating right before trapping season. And he's like, "I'm sorry, but like trapping season is important to me. And um, so if you want to see me, this is what I do. So our dates were going out on the line with him or working in the fur shed. And that first year, I just watched, kind of took it all in. But I'm like, I can't. I can't just stand around and watch if I'm going to spend my evenings out here. now I was still a college student and working to put myself through school. So I didn't have a lot of nights. But I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I have to do something. So teach me how to scrape muskrats. I think I could do that. And at that point, he decided maybe it was nice to have me around.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And and one of the things that, uh, that I did then, and I recommend anyone do if they want to get their spouse involved, make sure they're comfortable in this activity. I mean, we're trapping out there in the fall and the winter, it's cold, it's wet. And okay, if you want to follow me around, I'm going to take you shopping. Now, that's always a plus when you say that to a woman too, <laughs> you know, but in this case it was, is it was for practical gear yeah. and it was hard to t- find at that time. We're talking, to, you know, were talking in the seventies now and a lot of women's clothing wasn't developed then at that time for outdoor activities.
2: So the first thing that, the first thing that he bought me was a snowmobile suit because that was insulated and that's all you could find and it was from the boys department because I'm kind of size of a 12-year-old boy and um <laughs> um and and then he bought me hip boots but he wasn't sure how interested I was so they weren't insulated hip boots that first couple of years as I kept going with him and I started getting cold and I'm like maybe I don't want to do this cuz I'm cold he goes wait wait but there's insulated hip boots <laughs> oh now you tell yeah. me <laughs>
4: That's so great. anyway, equipment is important. And it's really great now that there's companies wow. that that target the, the female audience now.
5: For sure. Uh, and my wife's not a big fan of pulling the trigger, but she loves being out there.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't start out being a fan of pulling the trigger. But the more I learned about wildlife management and the more I learned what we were doing out there, um, the less I became more of a fan of it. Sure. Matter of fact, if we come up, I run the coyote line at home, and we come up on a coyote, even in Louisiana, I'm the one that pulls the trigger.
1: There you go. There you go. So so would it be fair to say that that kids aren't like don't seem to be getting into trapping like they maybe did when y'all were coming along? Is it does it just it, it it doesn't seem like. It's something that I hear kids talking about. Am I, am I right about that? Or is that, oh is yeah, set,
4: you're seeing the same problem in all the outdoor sports. I think there's so much other demands on kids' time now. And also, uh, when I grew up trapping muskrats back in the '60s and '70s, I mean that that was a significant income then. I bought my first car from muskrat money. And now the prices are down on most furs, and it's uh, there's there's no local fur buyers out there to help someone with uh you know. It, taking in an animal and sunning it on the carcass. They almost all have to be skinned now prior to, and that's another dimension that uh, younger kids have trouble with, especially if they don't have a mentor. Yeah. So it, it's more difficult to get started now. So a lot of our our state trapping associations have active programs and trying to recruit younger members. They have tracker, trapper workshops. So there there are educational opportunities out there for youngsters wanting to get started, but uh, it, it's more difficult than it used to be. So does the, do the first, is that kind of cycle and? go down and come back up and it it does it goes in
3: cycles um you know anybody that's been in the business as long as my dad has they've seen it go in these cycles i mean it can go from a from a really high peak to just absolutely worthless and what we're seeing right now i mean there there are certain species that are bringing decent prices but the main ones like the raccoon the coyote market uh, those are those are pretty tough right now Uh, i've seen it
1: both ways. What do they use the raccoons for?
4: Well, the, one of the Hats. big markets for raccoon was coats in Russia. <laughs> hmm. That market disappeared. So
2: they, that's, that's, is, that's it, is it impact. because
5: they're growing their own fur and it, and not collecting it from the wild? Or is it just no. trends have changed?
4: Or Well, in Russia, what they were doing was they were harvesting sable, very high dollar fur. So they would sell that on the international market. And then with the money from that, they would buy the cheaper raccoons, So they ended up with the same amount of fur, plus rubles. Okay, interesting. So It was a good good trade off for them. And a fur coat in Russia is is a standard item. I mean, it, it's cold in Siberia.
5: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, fur is really warm, and yeah. uh, it's a very it's warm. Just, you know, it's surprising to me. We, uh, you know, times have changed. Uh, people's mindsets have changed, but. Uh, you know, we use petroleum products to make synthetic fibers uh, like polyester and, and things like that. Um, and we, but we have all of these natural uh, materials available to us that God gave us uh, to make coats and things out of. And uh, I, I, hope, I hope that tradition continues.
4: Oh, it will with some. It, like, like Bill was saying, it, it cycles. Another example, of, why don't you tell them about cowboy hats?
2: Well, that's what I was going to say. Beaver right now is a hot item. Okay. All because of the show Yellowstone, because the beaver, the beaver hair is, is taken off and that's used in the felt that's made the high-end cowboy hats. So a lot of people are buying these high-end cowboy hats. have no idea that fur is involved.
5: How about that? That's so true. And, uh, but they
2: should know,
5: I think, right?
2: Well, but okay. But where are they going to get that information? Okay, if they're listening to a podcast like this, they're probably already kind of in the know. Sure. If you're waiting on mainstream media to tell them, they're not going to tell them. They don't want to know.
5: Right. I think there's just a lot of uh, the word ignorant can can be a little judgy sounding. But I think there's just a lot of folks that don't know that, uh, you know, uh, they're going to they want to buy the the fake fur jacket but they're probably also anti uh drilling and oil and such uh, but they're buying a, a, a fake fur jacket that's made out of oil you're basically I mean, saying been, you're, you're exposing the hypocrisy in that yeah.
3: right mm-hmm. that's exactly i didn't know what if is. we wanted
5: to go that direction with this podcast or not but i, I kind of wanted to bring some of that no, I, yeah
1: and a lot of fine, them live in
4: california too
1: so, so uh, yeah, well, I mean it's it's fine to it, point that out and I think there's probably some of the same with the the, the same people that are buying some of those cowboy hats probably are, aren't necessarily big hunters either and oh, no. they don't they don't no. realize that, that, that they don't realize what's going on there but
4: Well now the true cowboy hat connoisseur they know because there there's indications on the in the band of the cowboy hat indicating what percentage of beaver fur is used in that construction yeah. so the higher the the, the number of X's in there the more beaver and the higher the cost but is you know be.
5: it uh, it's a great material it probably stays yeah. warm when wet um, it's it, waterproof it, and it probably doesn't hold uh you know scents it probably you know like you you wear polyester long underwear um, you start stinking really quick <laughs> uh, but you know you wear something like wool made out of a natural material or probably beaver fur is is, is probably similar to that Um The
4: big advantage of the beaver fur is that the hairs are like serrated on the edges. So they kind of interlock that helps keep the beaver dry when it's swimming underwater. That also lets that, that fur mat together in a more solid felt. So it creates a almost waterproof uh, hat that way too. Interesting stuff. Um,
5: but you know, the, we're, we've been talking about how the market isn't the greatest uh, for most species, but you know, a lot of our listeners are, uh, not necessarily trapping to try to make income they're uh, Im- improving the the ecosystem for the for turkey poults and little baby quail and and ground nesting birds and things so that that's been kind of the uh the gateway drug uh for our trappers uh that you know kind of run with our genre uh is is trapping nest predators is, is where a lot of them get started and then then they realize how fun it is and and you know, uh, it's a lot different than sitting in a deer stand. You know, it's kind of like you're out there squirrel hunting or something. You're going from spot to spot.
4: You're active. Uh, you may be, you may be going
5: with a friend so you can have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, you're covering a lot of ground. Um, that's kind of, you know, my ADHD self is not good (laughs) at at sitting around.
4: Uh, I, I never was either. That's why trapping appealed to me. And not only that, you're, you're looking at 20-some different fur bear species in North America. And look at all the different habitat zones we have. And then, uh, as Bill brought forward here, some of the different types of traps that we can use. Tremendous number of variables. So There's always a different challenge. Your daughter's been begging you to hunt since her little brother shot the Big Eight last year. You've ran a fire, disced the fields, got stuck, got unstuck. Planted food plots, fertilized and prayed for rain. He moved trees, limbed roads, even bought one of those fancy cell cameras. So what's your
1: excuse?
4: LS Tractor.
1: Moultrie was first in feeders since 1979 and is the leader in total game management. They're taking feeding to another level with the new Ranch Series line of durable and versatile feeders, perfect for both wildlife and domestic livestock. So, Dudley, you can feed your goats. Whether you're a deer hunter, a hobby farmer, a land manager, or a rancher, Moultrie has you covered with several kit options including a rotating auger, broadcast, or a gravity kit. And these feeders are 300 or 450 pounds. They're big feeders. Alright, so guys, Moultrie is offering our listeners a 15% site wide discount at multriefeeders.com. Use the code Mossy Oak with a capital M Mossy Oak at Multrifeeders.com and get that 15% discount. So you got into trapping to make money?
4: Yeah, I was an eleven year old boy. I wanted money. I was I was a mercenary. <laughs> Do you through the through all these years of
1: trapping and looking at your beard, you've been doing this a long time. <laughs> It, and I mean that with affection. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I <laughs> take it that way. Have you have you seen where you've been able to help a property or transform oh, yeah. a property by pulling these predators off?
4: Absolutely, and it's becoming more that all the time. Uh, when I started, it was about fur trapping. Most of the trappers I know started out as fur trappers. Now today, like you've indicated, it's there's other reasons for trapping, and mostly it's wildlife management. Whether it's trying to help other species or whether it's trying to help farmers with a problem that they have, or even a homeowner. Maybe they've got raccoons in their attic. Um, Some of my fur trapper friends have started their year-round animal damage control businesses, doing trapping year-round like that. I'm still a fur trapper at heart, but I I enjoy helping out the farmers too, and that's what we're doing down in Louisiana right now.
2: Yeah, we're working on crawfish farms down there because otter... Otter, mink, and raccoons cause their biggest damage problems. And and it's not so much that the otter come in and eat the crawfish that are in the crawfish traps, but they turn them over. Um, they they flip them, um, they play. They play. Um, so what's orderly been set up by um you know by boat. So you've got boat expense, you've got fuel expense, you've got the hired person that put that puts it out, plus the bait fish that go in, all of those expenses Are wreaked havoc when a group of otter come through. Um, Farmers down there tell us that they can lose somewhere between one and four thousand dollars a night when a group of otter come through the crawfish fields.
5: Mac, why don't you uh, Google the river otter population here in the states? Um, I was reading about them the other day, and uh, I think their numbers are incredibly high right now. Um, I could be mistaken. Is it because uh, people
4: don't trap much anymore? Well, for the fur value, yeah. not as much. Again, for for wildlife management, that's that's where a majority of, of the trapping is, especially with the southern furs because they're not as good a quality, so they're worth proportionally less. So a lot of animal damage control trapping done in the south. And some trappers receive a bounty, uh, um, you know, so much per head for each animal that they remove from the farmer's fields. Uh, Some places, government entities will pay for beaver removal if they're drowning out roadways and, and flooding timber, that sort of thing. So yeah, and otter numbers specifically, otter were reintroduced throughout most of their their original habitat throughout North America. What twenty? I
2: was going to say in Ohio it was around eighty six.
4: So yeah, the numbers have been increasing in those areas ever since. And there's a lot of them in the south. I, I think we're seeing more otter here than we did when we started. I think so too. Back <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: And and look, don't they years. get into a pond and just kill the fish? They not, not necessarily eat all. of Oh, them. they just them. kill them.
4: Yeah, they'll eat them. They can eat twenty five percent of their body weight a night. That's wow. a tremendous amount of, of, of yeah. body, you know, for a for a small yeah. animal. Like but that.
3: you see where they are in Louisiana. That's some of the the most concentrated population of otter in the country. Louisiana yeah. has more otter than any place. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mississippi's got a good population, but mm-hmm. Louisiana's really big. I mean, it, when we were buying big numbers of otter, we thought five hundred otter was a big number. They'll they'll five thousand otter down there. It's that much more yeah yeah good, good habitat
4: yeah when we yes. decided to trap otter we researched and said we're going to louisiana yeah that that's one thing about being a, a fur trapper you got to go where they are do you
1: mm-hmm. think there's more raccoons uh today than there was say 25 years ago <laughs>
4: absolutely absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, they would be the ones yeah. to ask for
1: sure
5: yeah. Yeah. we've we've had that question in our mind you know because uh Let's face it. Uh, so many people feed when they're deer hunting these days. And we're like, certainly we're helping the raccoons too. You
2: know? <laughs> Without a doubt. Um, yeah, the corn piles, we have all the Louisiana deer hunters that we've talked to come, come and kill our raccoons. Like I hate feeding the raccoons, but the corn piles there, you put out the buffet, they're going to come. For sure. Um, So, and I don't think that's, I don't think that's the only reason that they've increased, but it certainly, it certainly helps.
1: Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I don't think people, you know, people coon hunt like they they used to. It still goes on. I know it, and it's a great sport. I'm a fan of it, but I don't think it's as big a deal as it used to be. Mac, have you heard any of your friends talk about coon hunting? Not as much. Uh, So
0: I did find that there's over 100,000 river otters in the United States, and in the late 2000s, they translocated 4,000 river otters to
1: 23 states. Interesting. I think that river otter is what Lanny saw, and he thinks he saw a black bear oh, You're, you're only saying that because he's not yeah. here. <laughs> We've got, we got another guy that sits where Bill is. I, I feel honored, really. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he th- he doesn't think he saw a black – he thinks he saw a Runday. Which is a kind of a dark cougar, like in the swamps of South Alabama, and I think he saw an otter. They
5: they call it an otter cat. I mean, Have that's you, like a
1: common name for jaguarundi. So you've been trapping all over. Have you ever encountered a, east of the Mississippi River a, a, a mountain lion? No, no.
4: not uh, not not physically. Now I will <laughs> I will say a friend and I in Southeast Ohio one time back in our college days we grouse hunting. Of course, you're back in the hills as far as you can go to oh, from civilization. We found an old cabin. And on the wall of this old cabin, I mean, the, the roof's fallen down. It, it, it's been abandoned for years and years. You can tell the outline of a hide that had been stretched up on the wall. And that hide was about five foot long, and it had a long tail. Hmm. That's all I know about it.
5: I wonder where you you try
4: to figure out any other animal that would fit that description. I can't, No. but I I think there was a hide nailed up on a cabin down in Southeast Ohio, probably back in the fifties, maybe forties. I don't know. But as far as our experience, everyone that that we have heard of and have followed through with was most likely an escaped captive. Yeah. So they, they, they have been seen. So, he but, loves to ask that yeah, question. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. I, we'll, get, we'll get back on track. And, and tra- I've, I've
4: not seen any aliens either. <laughs> well, that's good. that's good. I wasn't going to ask you that one, but I'm glad to know that. Well, anyway.
2: And and you were talking earlier about people getting into trapping to, to you know, save turkey poults and that kind of stuff. Um, for the last two years, Dave and I have run we, – we've worked the NWTF convention, the National Trappers booth, at that convention in Nashville. And – all we had out there were our displays of hides and some traps and, you know, making eye contact with people. The, the outfitters next to us finally said after day two, you're the busiest booth in this entire row and you're not even selling anything. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> That's a good point. But, but we were. were. We're selling the wildlife management. But it, it was amazing at how many people either want to know more about how to trap because of because of saving populations, because of wildlife management, or how many people stop to say, how can I do this better? I've tried this. I've tried this. What do, what do I need to know? So a huge amount of interest that we've seen at those conventions the last two years.
4: From younger people. Yes.
2: Or oh, that, someone to, too. well, yeah. You know, someone to just share their stories about what mm-hmm. they caught. <laughs> yeah, sure, and
1: I think a, I think the whole save the pulp movement and all that has got a lot of people. It it would like D- Dudley used a great analogy. It's a gateway opportunity, mm-hmm. and and guys realize just how uh, m- how much of a strategy and how fun this is because I've been kind of playing around with them a little bit, and I've met a guy over uh, in Alabama that's a really good coyote. Trapper and he trapped nine last year. I was just absolutely amazed. But so listening to these stories and people realize, uh, you know, it, there's the fun in doing it. I, I think I think it, it, it. What's the word when something does? Uh, just you just.
2: You're passionate. I don't know. It, it, it's huh? contagious, almost. Yeah, it oh, can not yeah. okay. be
3: contagious. I mean, people start out with something simple like a DP trap and they're successful with it. And then they get into trapping coyotes, and pretty soon they've got a lot of that predator pressure knocked down. And I, I'm really happy when I hear stories like that because you'll find one landowner, they'll tell their neighbor landowner, let's start doing this. And when they work as a team, the difference between them having turkeys and other people having turkeys, they're most likely going to have turkeys mm-hmm. because they're taking that and making it work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's
0: fun.
5: Yeah, it is. <laughs> <That's>, oh, <yeah.
0: laughs> Nozzler is known for their bullets, and now they're making suppressors. Nozzler suppressors are made for hunting. Adding a Nozzler suppressor to your rifle will make you a quieter, more accurate, and more effective hunter. Protect your hearing and disturb less game with a Nozzler suppressor. The time to hunt quiet is now. Learn
1: more at Nozzler.com. I mean, let's just start with like this Duke, uh, the, the dog proof. What, what what are some of your tips and tricks and that you could maybe explain to a guy that could help him be even more successful with that?
4: That one's very simple in my mind. That, that has revolutionized mm-hmm. raccoon trapping. I mean, I, I can remember many, many years. We never had those. Those are fairly new invention, new development in trapping. And they've changed things because it's made it much easier to catch those raccoons. Um, for southern trapping... You're limited, I think, sometimes on bait because of fire ants. So you want to put something in there that the fire ants won't get in. And that usually is shelled corn. And a lot of times the coon are used to shelled corn because they've been been up there at that deer feeder. (laughs) They know what that stuff is. Uh, So I use shelled corn almost exclusively here in the south. Anchor the traps down securely. You may not think that raccoon has that much power, but make sure you've got a good stake down in the ground to hold that trap. And I like to put mine out in an open area so that they don't have anything to entangle themselves with and try to pull out. So kind of an open area, well-staked in the ground. And if you see the coon trail, when they first came out, I had some of my chopper friends say, oh, yeah, you just set that right beside the trail. No, set it in the trail, make them run over Be obvious. I mean, gonna, they, yeah.
1: They're,
2: <clears throat> yeah, they don't go, they don't veer out of it that well.
1: Mac, are you seeing raccoon trails?
4: <laughs> no, that was going to be
0: my question. Is what I mean, are, you, are you, like the prints or, I mean, a disturbance?
5: I see deer trails. Range. You
0: probably have to look more closely, but,
5: you know, like uh, where they come under a fence or something like that.
4: Okay. If you've got a place where they're visiting regularly, they live somewhere else, there's going to be a trail in between those two areas. A lot of times in the grass, you'll just see this this narrow trail, just uh, two, three inches wide maybe, and and that's an animal the size of raccoon or smaller. We, we call two different kinds of trails where we trap the, the single-wides or the double-wides. <laughs> now, the double-wides would be a beaver, a nutria, an, an otter. otter. Their feet are out on the sides, like a wider trail. So we come up and we see a double-wide. Oh, maybe an otter here, you know. Mm-hmm. Look for the sign, look for the scat. Single-wide, okay, here's a coon trail.
2: Mink, maybe.
4: Yeah. That's a great example, though, of how somebody, a trapper, is paying
1: more attention to the woods. Yes. And, and, and is aware of more that's going on.
5: Um, and in my little bit of experience, um, I've, I've done a lot of, you know, trying to catch raccoons and possums and things like that. Uh, but you can really narrow down, uh, you know, like some people, uh, and it, it may not necessarily be the right thing to do, but you can put out a trap and, and, and catch a lot of things, but you'd normally try to target, uh, like a, a sweet, a species or some closely related species, uh to try to you know you you don't want to catch like a non-target so um, you try to put it in their habitat you know their haunts Uh, if you're trying to catch raccoon you're probably going to be near a a little creek or maybe maybe near a feeder or
4: or something like that Um, yeah and that dp that's that's a good example of a species specific trap and, and as Bill can tell you, they make all kinds of different traps for different situations, different animals, and they can be targeted with pan pressure and other things, can't they, Bill?
3: Absolutely. Pan pressure is a key thing. If you're trapping an animal like on land, uh, you want to exclude non-targets. You just want to catch the coyotes where well, you crank up the pan pressure a little bit on it. So if, if a non-target raccoon steps on it, you're not going to catch that animal.
5: I, I believe you can actually get a scale-type device that you can push down on the, on the pan of a foothold trap. And we probably need to get into what is a foothold trap for listeners that don't know. But, yeah, so uh, it may need a certain amount of pounds of pressure, uh, you know, and so a raccoon is not very heavy. Right.
4: Well, some of them. Yeah. some of them are some big ones. Some, some 20 plus pounders uh over the years
1: so you like shelled corn right? is anything for, for else or,
4: now for, if, if i'm in ohio yeah
2: yeah well kuhn coon, coon likes sweet things uh i just had a trapper in delaware that told me what he does is go to the dollar store and buy candy and he throws candy in the traps you know some for him some for the traps um i had another guy that At the NWTF convention, he told me this works great. Now, I haven't tried it, but he said he takes the chocolate syrup and he squirts it in the bottom of the trap, moves on to the next one, squirts chocolate syrup, brings them in. You can't do that kind of stuff with fire ants. Um, I will say, like right now, I've I've got a DP trap that I have baited with shell corn four days in a row, and nothing has set it off. That tells me that's not a coon coming in there. I've got mice or some kind of rodents that are getting down in that trap, eating the corn, and getting free meals. So one of the things that I do when I have that situation, I cover it with aluminum foil. Shiny side out, because coon likes shiny, they'll come and investigate. So that's another way you can draw them to your trap. Um, there have been some people who, who like the colored golf balls to put on top of their DP trap as an attractant. Or some people who have painted them like purple and pink and other colors so that the coon actually see them and go investigate. So there's a and couple that, other things. I you guess can do. that
5: could keep a, a mouse or something from getting in there. Yeah, the
2: golf ball or the or the aluminum foil, either one of those will keep something else from getting in there. The coon will knock it off or tear it off and then get in there to get the corn.
5: What about like dry cat food? Will fire ants it, get into that? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we use I, I dry use cat it.
2: food at home.
5: Yeah. Yeah, those dang fire ants. I
2: oh, know we have tried we, we've tried all kinds of things because coon, you know, we don't want the fire ants. They don't want them either.
4: You know, if it's cold enough and the ants aren't that active, yeah. you can you can use it for a while. Sure. But if it warms up, you better check that trap, and get rid of the anything that the fire ants would want, and go back to corn. So when you set a trap
1: ethically as a trapper, you you've got to go back the next day. Yes, it, it
4: varies from state to state and conditions that you trap under. Most most normal trapping is twenty four hour check. Yes. Now, some states will have a 72-hour check if you have lethal sets underwater. Like if you have the large uh, body grippers for a beaver, some areas you don't have to go back for, for 72 hours because the animal's going to be dead.
1: you have to put your names on traps in some states? Oh, yeah. Most or states. There's, or, there's
4: another option. Yeah. You can go with your, your hunter ID number in some states, too. That way, if a, an unethical person would find your trap, they don't have your contact information. But if a wildlife officer comes up there, they see the number, they can immediately call it up and know who you are.
5: Okay, so some crazy nut job can't right. uh, find you on Facebook and then come to your front door. Or exactly.
4: take the tag off of your trap and then call the wildlife officer and say, hey, I found so-and-so's trap that doesn't have a name tag on it. Uh, How do you know it's so-and-so's trap? <laughs> <laughs> Things like that have happened in the past. so <laughs> you know. But yes, they have to be identified one way or another. Is it
3: that way here in Mississippi? In- uh, yeah, you're you're supposed to have a trap tag on every every trap you set.
1: Hmm. Learn something, Mississippi. <laughs> Mississippi
3: is actually a, a pretty pretty lenient state uh, for trapping. I mean, you can do a lot of things in Mississippi that you can't do in other states. So i I, I do think that we're real fortunate that we've got
5: more options. I think if you are nuisance trapping. It's not necessary. Y'all look at the regulations, but if you're like a professional trapper that's uh, selling furs and and that kind of thing, I I do think in Mississippi you have to have What
4: we strongly recommend is anybody check your, your state regulations because they all vary. So make sure you abide by your state regulations. They vary a lot.
3: They do. I mean, every state is going to have some differences. Some are more lenient, but you just don't know until you get down and look at every single thing in that regulation.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like in Mississippi, you wouldn't have to worry about the ponds freezing over for extended periods of time and need that 72-hour check to go cut that hole in the ice again. Yeah, we did last week.
2: (laughs) week (laughs) Yeah, for a little while, but
4: nothing like mostly northern states have that kind of regulation in place. Or some of the western states on the coyote lines, where they're, they're traveling hundreds of miles a trapper will in one day to, to run coyote traps. They have some 72-hour check laws as well.
1: So are you seeing coyotes, more coyotes now than you did as a young man when you were? I didn't see anyone as a <laughs> yeah. young man.
4: I mean, they, they, they came into Ohio back in the, I don't know, 80s, maybe. Yeah. 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 It, actually, to <laughs> catch my first coyote, I couldn't wait for them to come to Ohio. So I went to Missouri and caught one. But yeah, they've been they've been expanding ever since. They're probably now about the maximum amount of expansion that. They, I mean, there's some places I think in the east of the Appalachians that uh, still have more red fox than they have coyotes. But I'm afraid that'll change. Coyotes are moving in more all the time.
3: Yeah, I mean, I see that around here too. If if a red fox is going to survive here, they've got to be in town or you know be able to be able to be able to have a habitat under a building because the coyotes will just kill them straight away um but i remember the days back in the 70s and 80s we we used to handle lots of red foxes and hardly no uh coyotes and now it's Mm -hmm. completely
4: opposite well and and on the other end of that the muskrat that was the that was the fur back when i was a kid to trap there were muskrats everywhere now you have very very few muskrats in some areas some of your marshlands still have good populations, but if a marsh is, if it's managed for ducks, it won't have muskrats. Muskrats require more static water level, so if a if a marsh or a pond is lowered to allow vegetation to grow for emergent vegetation for the ducks, that disrupts the muskrats in those areas. Now, if it's managed for muskrats, they're still there. What so about lot-
5: nutria rat? Do they displace the the muskrat? Oh yeah.
4: Yeah, and we displaced the nutria rat. <laughs> yeah,
2: right. We do our best.
5: Rob and I were driving to Stuttgart, Arkansas the other day, and uh this nutria rat, we were at this crossroads four way stop out in the middle of nowhere, and he just slowly crossed the road, like right in front of us. Funny looking. Didn't seem to care that we were there, did it? It
4: made it across the road. <laughs> oh well that's what
5: we, I was thinking. We made an attempt. We we did make an attempt,
4: but uh <laughs> we, when we're running the trap line there in Louisiana, we always carry a twenty-two rifle on the on the bike, and if we see one swimming, I'd, I'd say what nine out of ten of them don't swim that far.
5: Well, they're an invasive species; <laughs> they're they not supposed to be here.
4: Yeah. So,
1: so what's your favorite thing to trap?
2: I'm looking at him because <laughs> when we first started dating, he was a muskrat trapper. And then, as coon became plentiful, he was a raccoon trapper. Yeah, um, four or
4: five hundred a year.
2: And then raccoon, yes. Yeah. And and the Louisiana thing was was otter. So I didn't get to go with him full time for the first few years he was down there. But every time I was down there, he'd be like, "Ooh, see that coon trail." See that coon trail? See that coon trail? I'm like, we're here for otter. You know where his They're heart is. We're here for otter. Um, we had this discussion just the other day that Again. he's an otter trapper now. I turned <laughs> and, him into an otter trapper. And Link.
1: I, I, I'm amazed that you enjoy the raccoons. I mean, that that would be
4: one of your – I'm, I'm he a, did. Well, we had so many in Ohio. Uh, we're corn farmers, too. <laughs> yeah. And raccoons are a tremendous nuisance around the cornfield, of course. So walk so, me through a scenario. So
1: you've got you've got say three or four of these DPs, the Duke dog-proof traps out. Mm-hmm. You you got shelled corn in it. You walk up and there's two coons and uh, two uh, two traps are triggered. What what, what what goes on? You get off your bike and what do you do? Then? Oh wow,
4: get the get the rifle out. Twenty two brown nose, no hollow points. Uh, hollow points do too much damage it makes it kind of messy when you're skinning so just a regular 22 long rifle and uh, we do dispatch usually with a raccoon try to get right right below the ear maybe between the eyes it usually it's pretty quick um, so yeah that's the first thing we do and and then with the two of us there I usually start getting the animals out of the trap and making a reset she'll take care of uh, putting the raccoons back in the bike and uh, uh get And stuff. any other
2: equipment we need yeah I rebate the-
1: yeah, was, so, if there's blood on the trap right there, you just rebate that one and set it again?
2: For or raccoon,
4: yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, if if we were seriously coyote trapping, I would probably be a little cleaner about the remake sets that, I, that I'd put out. But uh, the raccoon, it's not that big of an issue there.
5: Yeah. Uh, you know, when you're trying to catch coyotes or fox or bobcat, you you know, you, you got to cover the trap to where you can't see it and and all of that stuff Uh, with raccoon. I I don't think you have to be very particular at all. They don't.
4: Well, you're, you're sending that DP. It's obviously a piece of metal. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, and, and cats are not as particular about that as coyotes are. Interesting. Yeah. They'll, they'll step on a bear trap sometimes. So you don't have to be as, as scent free or as careful when, when trapping bobcats.
5: And there's some interesting regulations about, about bobcats. I know uh, in some states, I, I know like you could uh, hang like an attractant, you know, like a feather spinning in, in the wind right above the trap. In some states, you can't do that. We
4: call uh, that flagging. Flagging. Uh-huh. And some states, you can't use natural, you can't use any other animal parts. Okay. But you can use maybe a CD disc.
5: Yeah, I, I remember somebody saying like a piece of cassette tape tape yeah. hanging down. Yeah. It, it shines. I mean, my cat would want to play with that. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Whatever your cat's interested in, that cat's definitely going to be interested in. it. Um, but there's so much to trapping, um, and so uh, where can somebody go to just get just learn as much as they can? I mean, I, I know there's a lot of resources, but but what are some good Resources. I used to go to a forum. I, th- I think it was called the Trapper Man Forum, oh, and I would, it still I would, I would read it and read it and read it.
4: Yeah, there's some some good stuff on there. It, it got a little political too at times. Mm-hmm. I think for just basic trapping information, go to a trapper's workshop or a trapper's meeting, and most states have them. Check out online what what's the nearest one available in your area, and and look that up.
2: There are a number of trappers who are running schools now, targeted like just for coyote, uh, okay. something like that. Um, the other, the other thing is there's a lot of women's workshops that are happening now. All right, um,
1: Kelly. McKenzie. Yeah, so I
2: mean, I I know of one happening in Tennessee. I think it might be it might have been this past weekend, um, but here in late January there was one happening in Tennessee, uh, led by women, four women. Um, there's another one that I saw on Facebook by the s- same same group of people are doing it in Indiana. Um, they've been doing it in Wisconsin, um, Pennsylvania had a had a crew. So um, there are there are a number of superstar women out there right now. Sarah Gomez, Linda White, uh, Lydia Rickenbacker, Megan Lockwood are some of the names that you're going to see a lot more of in the next few years.
5: Excellent. And uh, by doing that, and and hanging out with actual humans, uh, you can have a (laughs) a mentor. Yes. um, So important. And then, you know, it's just like going camping. You know, you get to know these people and hang out and uh, make make new friends with similar interests, you know, and you can feed off of each other.
2: If you have that base first, then what you see on YouTube videos or forums or whatever are like the reminder or the connection or taking it to the next step.
3: Yeah, good point. Excellent point.
4: The Ferminator is the industry's most versatile piece of food plot equipment, allowing plotters to do every step of the process working the soil, adding seed and soil supplements, and compacting from start to finish with a single implement. It's hassle free by design. Set it for the seed size and simply drive the tractor, and the Ferminator does the rest. Check it out at theferminator.com.
5: Hey guys, Dudley from Gamekeepers here. I want to tell you about the all-new Gunner Dog Bowl. It's designed for home and built for travel. It's customizable, leak-resistant, light on weight, solid on durability, and rust-proof. Like other Gunner products, they're made in Nashville and
0: designed for everywhere. Mac, you got a question or a comment? (laughs) I do. Uh... This is a, it's definitely gonna be a it depends answer, but just for <laughs> folks say okay, for us in the south, deer season's almost over with. Everybody's starting to shift towards turkeys. February, it's too cold to fish, so trapping is I would say at least out of my friends, February's a month where that's what a lot of people in the south are focusing on trapping for nest predators. How many traps would you say? I, I know it depends on your populations, but if somebody's getting started, what is an a attainable amount of traps to check and to put out and to rebate in a in a period? So if you had 100 acres, how many traps would you think you would need for raccoons, nest predators specific?
4: For 100 acres, uh, a dozen would be plenty, I would think. And how many would you expect to catch? Depends on the habitat.
2: Yeah, it really does. Now, we,
4: we have a 150-acre farm back home. And one year, I think we caught 30 raccoons on our farm. That's a pretty high population. And she's caught as many as, what, seven coyotes? At now, time. how we're, fast we're, do they come back? That, we- that's, what I'm, that's what I was getting ready to say. Not all of those lived on our farm. They lived on some of the neighbors, but we caught them coming across the fence, mm. basically. So if you're going to be effective in, in managing wildlife, you need to do it on a large enough basis. That's, that's one thing that's important. You can't just take the animals off of your farm because they'll come from the neighbor's farm. But if you can kick yours and the neighbors and maybe the next neighbors get a big enough area, that will help. The other way to, to make sure that you're having an impact is, again, this timing works out really well with, with deer and turkey hunters. Get those animals late winter, early spring, especially the breeding females. So important on coyotes. If you want to control the coyote population, you take out that, that breeding, that alpha female in in March or February Now, no other female has a chance to step up and become alpha and get bred in that short time frame. So, you've you've taken care of the reproduction for that area with that one female. So, targeting the specific animals and also targeting a large enough area. So, yeah, for a 100-acre farm, maybe a dozen traps, when we head south, we bring about... 400
5: (laughs) well you guys have gotten so efficient you know
4: makes duke happy because almost all of them say duke on them
5: well you know uh, again a lot of people run feeders and you know they may have four feeders on 100 acres and i know that uh you could probably you know preset some some stakes uh uh, like cable stakes or irregular stakes, maybe even put four in the vicinity of each feeder and uh you know make your work uh more efficient i mean you may be able to fill all four of those up in one night yep. am i
4: am i right oh it's possible yeah yeah if they're uh, used to coming in there and you're giving them the food i mean
5: we see trail camera photos all the time you know ours our our listeners, uh, Gosh, I've seen some deer uh, feeder pictures that have like twelve or thirteen raccoons. I've raccoons seen in each those photo. pictures. <laughs> you know, you may have four of them climbing on the top and hanging on the posts, and they're not a mulch four on X- the ground.
1: X- XT feeder. That's though, a good that, point. They've got that electronic; they can shock them, keep them off. <laughs> and but, but anyway, I wanted to ask Mac. You got another question? So hang on just one second. before. I'm gonna forget this if I don't. But when you walk up there and you sh- you dispatch mm-hmm. coon, do you have something in your mind that you're looking for to make sure he, if he did not flopping, does that make you worry and you need to shoot him again? or if it, I, Have you ever picked up one out of the trap and he come back to life a little bit on you? Yeah, I'm just trying oh, to yeah. <laughs> get a little advice We here.
4: both evaluate when I, when I shoot one or she shoots one. Yeah, that's a good shot. Shoot it again. Shoot it again just to make sure.
2: Security Double shot. Double
4: tap.
1: Yeah. Because they'd be a handful if it... <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. absolutely.
1: Yeah. Do you ever have... A, I'm hoping I can ask this question, but does anything ever get after the coon that's in the trap? Because I've often wondered that, and they didn't say, I've had like a picture of some couch come through when I knew I had a raccoon in the trap that night, and they didn't mess with him.
4: Um, we've had some animals, the uh, smaller animals. So is a couch and a the raccoon. raccoon, they don't? They the, the, A big raccoon can hold its own.
2: And a lot of things don't like to eat raccoons.
4: Yeah, raccoon, uh, I know a lot of coon hunters would try to feed their, their coon dogs raccoon meat, and unless they cooked it, dogs didn't want to eat it. Mac, huh. what
1: you got? Is it better than that? I, I don't know. Uh, so if
0: you're successful at a trap set, are you keeping that trap there, or do you think that you need to move it? And are there historical places on a property that you you were, it's consistent successful and you just keep catching them?
2: We have been on one farm in Mississippi. It's a 6,000 acre farm. You've been, huh? Oh, I said Mississippi. I'm sorry, Louisiana. One crawfish farm that we've been going to, are you 18 years? Yeah. About 18 years now. He's been going down there and I've been going with him. When we go to that farm, I can can point to you on a map of that farm pretty much where we're going to make sets. Now they may vary, you know, a few feet this direction or the other direction, um, but we know where they're going.
4: Yeah, we we transfer trails, you know, crossover trails. There, there are certain locations. Now, as far as remaking a set after you've caught an animal, it can be better or it can be worse. Depends on the animal and, and the way the set was made. Uh, a lot of the guys trapping coyotes will not reset within that catch circle where that first coyote was caught because it others tend to shy away from that circle. So they'll add a second set just outside that circle. That's where the coyote's going to be. So for a coyote trapping... Sometimes you need to make another set. They won't come right into the same one. Now, a mink, oh, once that, trap, that set there it smells like mink, especially if it's a female mink this time of year, every male that comes by, you're going to get. So that that it becomes more of a lure.
0: Hmm.
4: Now, I, I say that about coyotes. Strangely enough, if another animal has been caught in that trap, other than a coyote, that attracts the coyote to come into that location. So we, we catch a lot of them accidentally. The the second night after we've caught something—that's interesting—and and and cats too. I I love catching a skunk because I don't. (laughs) That's going to attract a bobcat the next time. The smell—very interesting.
1: You're talking about the raccoon meat, but I I know that. Super Bowl weekend, there's a lot of oh. raccoons getting Oh,
2: eaten. we sell okay. a bunch of them, but they're cooked. They're cooked. Cooked raccoon meat is good. But, you know, you're talking a coyote coming by. That's not cooked. But yeah, my,
5: my pets will not eat uh, feral pig when it's raw, but when it's, it's cooked, cooked, they gobble it up.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: There's something instinctive. They know that those animals, being omnivores, could carry, you know, parasites. That's, that's my my thought. That's
5: your theory. That's a good theory. Bill Duke. Loyalty yes, in the
1: trapping world.
4: What Get does a raccoon here. taste like?
3: What does a raccoon taste like? Um, I had a brief taste the last time you guys decided to have the uh, the crock pot coon. This was about th- this time last year. Yeah, yeah. It's if the smell is kind of it's kind of
5: special. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, <laughs> it was. It's, to me, it was kind of mild, but stringy, and the, the texture wasn't really my thing. But the flavor it just kind of tasted like barbecue sauce. Yeah, I, I felt like it tasted like that too. But the
3: the thing that knocked you back is is the smell of it cooking. Yeah, I mean, Sam Sam did a fantastic job doing it, but um, but you gotta you gotta get that. Gotta I think you gotta get past acquired, that. I
5: yeah. think it's an acquired taste. Must be.
3: Well,
4: um, you're gonna have some variation there too, just like you do in venison. Okay. If you got that old buck deer in the middle of the rut, not going to taste near as good as that young doe. If yeah. I open up your freezer, have you got raccoons in it? Yes. <laughs> Back in the trailer right now, camp, yeah. yeah. And, and at
2: home, and muskrat, and beaver.
5: Yeah, now, be- I've heard uh, beaver meat is similar to whitetail. Am I close? It's, it's supposedly good.
2: Oh, it's good. Oh, good. It's yeah, good. I,
4: I wouldn't compare the two, but okay. I've, ne- I've never... Hmm. now I had... Now I like muskrat too, and muskrat's a darker uh, red meat like that.
5: I've heard That'd the you hard. know the rodents are good. You know, I, yeah. I, I like oh, eating nut- squirrels.
2: I like nutria. I um, mean, we we cook it when we're down here when we get a good one.
5: How how do
4: you cook the nutria?
2: He cleans it.
4: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, My simplest method uh, when I was down here by cut myself, the hams. Huh?
2: cut the hams out.
4: Yeah, cut cut the ham out. Put it in the crock pot with a link of uh, sausage and an onion and an onion. Okay, that yeah. sounds very Cajun. Yeah.
5: Yeah,
2: yeah well, it's delicious. Oh, oh, you gotta have some slap your mama on there too.
5: <laughs> oh yeah, we have a we have a can of that <laughs> uh, in, in yeah, the kitchen. Yeah,
2: <laughs> um, you know when when our daughter was a year old, our oldest daughter, and I took her in for her year checkup. It happened to be the end of November, and the doctor said, "Is she eating solid food now?" And I am like, "Sure." He goes, "Well, like, what did she have? What did she feed her this week?" Let's see, she had an elk. She had venison. She had muskrat stew. She had black bear, and he was like, "Stop! <laughs> if she's eating all that, she's fine."
1: <laughs> oh wow! Wow! Well, so you reset the traps, and do you, do you keep them active? How do you? How do you? What what determines? Okay, I've got them all out of here. Do you, is it two or three nights when you're not catching anything, or
2: oh, it's is there more to it than that? With with an otter. Raccoons. So otter- oh, okay, oh, okay, raccoons usually a, about a week in an
4: yeah. area. I, I used to run a canoe trap line in Ohio, and I would figure seven to ten days. I would have most of the raccoons out of that immediate area. Now, the way raccoons are, you could go back three weeks later, and more would have moved back in. But in in about seven to ten days, I could usually have a pretty good pretty good control on that population. Now, I used it. I, I don't re- I don't rely on just one trap or one set. I mean, these DPs are great traps, but if you, if you can read the sign and watch the tracks in the mud, you'll see places where raccoon will walk right past that baited trap and not even slow down. So what do I do there? Well, if I know there's a trail, that one-and-a-half coil spring right there up on the bench, that's a really good tool to set down in that trail, recessed, covered with some grass. Now that raccoon doesn't know what it's going to step in. It doesn't know to go around it. So don't, don't rely on just one set. Uh, I think that's another key point to make when you're when you're targeting something.
1: what happens if one of the white tailed deer that I love so much is walking through there and steps on? My I'll address? answer that
4: yeah <laughs> it it it'll set the trap off and jump up in the air and run away. I mean it has a big hoof and it it doesn't
5: yeah. get bigger at the bottom, so they can yeah. just pull right out they pull out, of it. out i mean the, those those uh cold spring traps are are there to hold them uh but uh it doesn't really damage anything.
4: The other way you can avoid that on a trail like that is to take a, a stick maybe inch and a half, two inches in diameter, about four or five feet long, and set down at an angle over top of the trap. That way the raccoon's gonna walk underneath there or the other targeted animal. The deer probably gonna Step jump over, over or mm-hmm. go around.
1: Uh, see, that's the kind of stuff that I like to hear, that they, they, these little tips and tricks that these mm-hmm. trappers know, and you kind of got to pull it out of them. To, <laughs> well, there's so many of them, we just we
4: don't even think about that stuff. What that about much the anymore.
1: live traps? Do you all utilize those as well?
4: Uh, sometimes. It depends on the situation. If, if a farmer has trouble with, say, raccoons in their barn and they've got cats too, and they like the cats, uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to go with a live trap so we can release them.
5: Yeah, Yeah. I can see where they're, you know, they're bulkier. They take up more space, you know, if you're on a four-wheeler or something. But, uh, you know, I I use them in town. Yeah. I've Mm -hmm. got, you know, I don't have chickens anymore. But when I had chickens, uh, I'd catch two or three raccoons a week in in live traps.
4: Uh, Yeah, so we use them. It's another tool, but but it's hard to beat that foothold trap. I love it's been around a, a, for hundreds of years, and it's very effective. I, we made a lot of improvements on it. They make a great product today that uh, does the job.
5: I love my Duke. Uh, is it one and a half or one point five? Coal Springs.
2: We call yes. them one and a half. <laughs> one and a half. <laughs> what um, do you call them?
3: <laughs> I call them one and a halves, but. Depending on where you are in the country, they call them different things. Down in Louisiana, they call them oyster traps. Okay. You have heard of that before or not? No. Because no. because they're because they're shaped kind of oh, like, like an, an oyster. oyster. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they call them oyster yeah. oyster traps. One and a half oyster traps and then uh huh. over in Arkansas they call them ones and a halves. <laughs> ones and a half.
2: Ah. Yeah. A halves. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
5: But uh, I, I like the convenience of a, of a coil spring. I do have some dog mm-hmm. proofs as well, but, you know, I've modded them out, which is really fun. You know, uh, Riley that uh, used to work here, we'd dime and wax them and we'd <laughs> night latch them and we'd add another swivel. And uh, uh, one thing I like to do is add a little length of cable to where you can use it uh, like a loop and put it around the base of a sapling or something um, to secure it. Um, and then we also have those, uh, cable stakes, which is just a piece of cable. And it's got a little hunk of metal that you drive into the ground and then you pull it tight and it works as a stake. And then you attach your trap to that. Um, and then the other method is an actual rebar stake that's, that's made out of rebar and they work great as well. I, I think with raccoon, you probably use one. But a larger animal, uh, you crisscross them. Yeah, you double stake them. Yep. Um, but there's so much to learn, and there's so many different species, and, and it's, it's just a lot of fun.
2: Well, you were, you were asking about learning those little tips and trades. Almost every state has a trapping association, and the National Trapping Association. And then there's Fur Takers of America, and they have national conventions. And at those national conventions, we call them demos but they're educational seminars. Um, three or four days worth of educational seminars. And that's where you can go and listen to people talk about these things and ask questions. So even beyond classes, there are those kind of things. Like our Ohio State Trappers, we have our, our state convention, but we also have three regional conventions twice a year, one in the spring and one in the fall and have the same kind of things. It's one day, but an afternoon of people sharing.
1: That's interesting. It's So if, if I... It, it, deadly made a comment a minute ago about the uh, waxing so if i buy a dozen duke traps get them in a box delivered to the house when they the dog proofs when they come out do i need to do i need to boil them or wax them or anything can i just take off because i'm that's what i've been doing yeah yeah you're doing the
3: right thing you just take off and start setting them you don't you don't you don't have to do anything to those because they come with a powder coated finish and you bait it set that trap stake it down and just wait for the coons to come by where you want to do some treating on the traps is going to be on the on the plain steel traps when they become rusted uh you may want to pull those or you may want to spray paint them black or brown whatever you know people just have different ways
5: of doing things that's right it's almost like uh you know you're getting your turkey vest ready that's what trappers do they get their traps ready for the season so they
1: boil them and then they wax them Right. Some people will and,
5: boil them with walnuts, and it'll help them turn black, which is an earthy tone. Some people will paint them. I think the wax just—you know—they're—they're they're getting rusty. You know, and that, yeah, and that lubricates the surfaces so they function
3: very quickly. You—you yeah. you wax those traps; they're going to fire immediately.
4: The other thing about wax traps, a lot of coyote trappers will do that because they're trying to do everything they can to eliminate human scent, and that—that that paraffin supposedly doesn't hold scent that well so that that's another that that a lot of coyote trappers will do for the trapping that we do i don't think i've boiled wax to trap in 20 years
1: you ever accidentally caught yourself <laughs>
4: i noticed you got all your fingers I've, I've got all of them but if you look closely not all of my fingernails grow normally anymore <laughs> so the answer is yes i have
2: the first time I caught myself, it took me three days to tell him I'd done it because I thought he was just going to laugh at me. He goes, there's not a trapper alive that hasn't caught themselves at least once. Come on.
3: And, and you always remember the trap that caught you. The very model <laughs> yeah. that caught you the first time. I'll yeah, never the, forget that. Mine
5: was a 220 Conovir. Yeah, that's oh, that painful. That was painful just <laughs> um, I was, I was, was, I was finger, inexperienced. Right? <laughs> uh, I had not asked for help from my dad and I was just messing around and trying to, to set those coils on the side. And before spring, I was right. able to put the say, I mean, the sp- before I was able to put that little safety latch over it, it popped back and, and just pinched my arm. But it, it when that happened, it took the use of, you know, I couldn't use that hard. So I only had one <laughs> hand to try to get it. And I mean, I, I was fine. It, it just pinched my skin really bad, but, uh, it it was not comfortable. I can assure you
4: of that. There's worse things that can happen on the trap line, though. Oh, for sure. You ever been sprayed by a skunk? Um, uh, no. Ask Ask Neil
5: Hayes. He was with me when that happened.
2: Well, I might like. have pulled your fingers into a wench.
4: <laughs> it, it all grew back. Mm. So that that's one of the things when we go in, out of state trapping, we always make sure. We have a, you know, first, a first aid, aid kit. kit, and when you get to a location, you check out. Okay, where's the nearest hardware store, uh, mechanic, and intensive care unit? <laughs> <laughs> wow.
1: Well, I tell you what, the the trapping thing is really fascinating, and I'm glad to see people getting interested in it. The, the for whatever reason, uh, and and I think it's a great way for uh, young. Kids. Getting the youth involved. Yeah.
4: It's, it,
5: it's an active sport. It's you're not just sitting there and they, they just take to it so well.
4: Yeah. We're really excited back home. My cousin's son, he's 23, just came to me about a little over a month ago and says, I think there's some beaver down at grandpa's. Can you help me catch him? <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we were actually a few days late coming down to Louisiana this year because I was home trying to mentor my, my first cousin once removed. And he's he's jumped He's in. ate
2: up. Oh, yeah.
4: He, he, I, I taught him clean skin beaver, so you don't have to scrape them afterwards. And he's catching coon and the DPs. And he just he can't wait for us to get back so he can catch some more beaver. So, it, you know, every once in a while you have those success stories kind of make you feel good and, and want you to keep on going and, and hopefully we can get some more people involved like that too.
1: You know, I just recently learned that uh, the beaver caster is used in the perfume industry.
5: It's ministry. used oh, yeah. in all kinds of things.
4: Yeah. And that that got really high dollar there for a while. You could get more out of the castor from that beaver than you could at the uh, the hide there until the cowboy hat thing took off. And the castor is is the oil. No, there's there's two different glands in the back of the beaver. Now you've got your oil sacks, one on each side, but then the castor glands are the scent. Now the oil they'll 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 use to help oil their their skin and stuff or their fur, but the 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 castor glands are. Just for their scent that they put up on the castor mound, mark their territory. Yes, yeah, it's so a very sweet smell. I, I, when you
2: come up to an area that's got beaver, you can smell. Oh, yeah, it. it's beaver hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
5: Um, I found one on on some nearby public land recently, um, and it it looks like just a small mound of leaves. You know, mm-hmm. about the size of a salt block, maybe a little, mm-hmm. maybe a little like an ant mound. And you can get down on your hands and knees and and put your nose near it. To me. I know this sounds crazy but if you've ever gotten like an inflatable raft it kind of smells like the new plastic smell to me or you know almost think, like a yeah, new pair right. of rubber boots yeah. you know it's kind of got that smell but uh, I know like they use it in in perfumes uh, it makes it stick to you correct
4: the, I'm, I'm not sure uh, no, it makes
5: the scent the stick to your body uh, and that mm-hmm. castor is a very long lasting scent but um it it works great you can put some on your boots when you're walking to your deer stand and and cover your scent up it's got a lot of uses
4: yeah a lot of lures that are made uh coyote lure a lot of your professional coyote lure makers they'll use a a bobcat meat base with beaver maybe as well some castor, some red fox urine um, skunk essence all this stuff they're mixing together to make make lures but that's the,
5: another fun hobby, no, oh, yeah, making yeah, your no, lures no, and baits.
4: Now, most of the sets we're making, other than the DPs, are what we call blind sets. We we know on that, well, there's one place uh, we'll move to in a couple of weeks in Louisiana, a 6,000-acre farm. I want to catch an otter on that 6,000 acres, and I'm know a spot that big that it's going to step out of 6,000 acres. Yeah, just like an
5: inch and a half
1: circle. You <laughs> and
5: know. That's where
4: I set my trap.
1: Wow. You know, there used to be red wolves in Louisiana. I mean, and in the last thirty years, there there was wolves in Louisiana.
4: Uh, have the coyotes hybridized those out of existence, though? So? I think they trapped all those wolves
1: and carried them to North Carolina on a. There's a peninsula over there that they're trying yeah. to reintroduce. I knew there were still
4: some there, but any remaining probably would have been hybridized out then. By probably
1: the so.
5: I had a friend near uh, Charlotte send me a photo that they got on a trail camera that.
4: It was a red wolf to me.
1: Do you guys ever go far enough north where you encounter? Have you ever trapped wolves?
2: No.
4: Myself, no. Now, a year ago, last November, we were with some friends in uh, Montana, and he, he didn't have the wolf out, line out then, but we uh, participated in a mountain lion hunt and did trap uh, Pine Martin in live traps there for a relocation project. So wow. we, we've- We've been around some of the different habitats at different times of the year. So yeah, you guys have
5: been involved in, in relocation stuff?
2: Just and?
4: just minor just, there. Yeah, yeah. just okay. a little.
1: What's the toughest thing to catch? Oh, good
4: question. Uh, well, it, don't, don't, it's are, are you caring. looking at, at the uh, <laughs> difficulty of the individual animal or the scarcity of the animal? Because well, I'd it, say weasels are difficult to catch in Ohio because there aren't that many of them. But as far as this— where. Maybe the smartest animal? Yeah, like you versus this
1: animal, uh, but, you know, wits-wise.
2: Right now, there's an otter in Louisiana I'm working on.
4: <laughs> it's gotten personal. <laughs> we, we've caught six off this farm, but there's one that comes up this far from the trap and leaves a pile of scat. Oh, uh, he's uh,
5: yeah. flipping you the bird in exactly. his life. Exactly.
2: Exactly.
4: So that that one is, that, 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 yeah, that's got yeah.
1: personal but uh, We have turkeys like that. I was kind of expecting you to say couch for some reason. That's well, kind
4: of I, I was thinking along those lines, but I know some coyote trappers that are very, very successful. They don't consider it that difficult at all because once you understand the animal, it isn't. Uh, I think that the key to there is that knowing the habits of that individual animal you're after. So I don't know that any one is more difficult than the other once you understand the basics there. Uh, we had some friends that went out to Oklahoma And they were out there nine days, these two guys. They caught 179 coyotes. Wow. mull that number around in your head a little bit. In nine days. It's just phenomenal But the guy understands and knows coyotes.
2: That is his, he lives in Breeze for that.
4: It's probably more involved process to catch the coyote than it is some of the other animals. So then that respect, it would make it more difficult. Once you understand what's needed- it, it's kind of like the, the coyote and the, or the cowboy and the horse, you know. There's never a horse that couldn't be broke or a coyote that couldn't be throwed <laughs> or a horse that couldn't be rode, I guess the way it is. Yeah. There, there's, yeah, there's there's animals out there that, oh, yeah, I can catch them all until you get the one that, nope, nobody can catch it. Well, so. even
5: <laughs> easy stuff like like raccoon, uh, if you're not setting in the right place, uh, then, yeah. you know, you're not going to catch very well. I mean, you wouldn't put a set like out in the middle of a big opening, uh, I guess you would if that's where they're crossing the field, but, you know, like where a, like where a trail crosses a ditch, you know, where a, a little road crosses a ditch, that's probably a good place to to start. Or, you know, if, if you're looking for coyote, maybe a little crossroads, uh, you know, where two logging roads cross uh, would probably be a good place to start, you know. Um, yeah,
4: pinch points is one thing we refer to. Where animals are... Funnel down to a narrower location is always a good place for a set. But as far as difficulty, yeah, I had to think about that for a while because I, I don't consider any of them that difficult now. Just some take a little bit more preparation.
1: If you're walking a property and you see a cow turd, are you going to pick it up and carry it for a set later
4: on? Might have been known to do that.
1: <laughs> I, I've been around a lot of people that and yeah. like get excited and they have a ziplock in their pocket just for that. Yeah. We, we
5: uh, Well, up you know, a, a big of... bone, you know, that's kind of visual. You can put a big mm-hmm. cow femur right by your coyote set. You know, they'll see that and they may want to run by that. that may be something they want to uh, pee on. Am I right? You oh yeah. Know, so they see something like that. Uh-huh. Well, you put that appropriately placed trap uh, where that front, left or right paw is gonna land right there yeah Uh, but there's there's all kinds of tricks but a lot of people use that or a uh, an old stump or something out in the middle of a field or something something.
4: that yeah it has high appeal something different and if it doesn't exist make it exist back when we were catching uh red fox back in ohio before the coyote came in if you had a hayfield you know fox could play anywhere in that hayfield looking for mice but if you took a bale of hay or straw out there in the early fall, and just set it out on a high point in that field. Just leave it there. Every fox come by would have to jump up on that bale and look around. So that was an attractant there in the middle of an open field that you could use then to catch the animal that way. So if it didn't have have something that was already there, make something. Interesting stuff. Yeah,
1: that really is. What what are we not asking? Bill, Is is there something we need to cover here? Well, I made
3: some notes before we came in, and I was thinking we – a lot of us live in states where the wildlife laws are helpful to trapping, but there are certain states that don't have wildlife laws that are helpful particularly to trapping and would you like to talk about some of the consequences the states that restrict trapping what they have to deal with now? I mean, I think Massachusetts is one of those states that that really stands out where they without any consideration for wildlife management they just decided no trapping is going to take place here and now they have beavers that are doing extensive damage uh you want to expand on that so we can just get yeah, that out what happened
4: there in massachusetts like you said they outlawed trapping and the beaver population naturally skyrocketed in some areas and beaver do a lot of damage or can so now it's not that trapping is illegal it's fur trapping was illegal so now nuisance trappers have stepped up they're getting paid now by either landowners or government entities or companies, logging companies, whatever it might be to manage these beaver now. And so they're still trapping them, still using traps, but when they catch them, they have to throw them away. They can't use
2: them. They can't use them. Yeah. They they want to
4: waste. Not legal to utilize a resource. So now we're wasting a resource. We're not saving anything. You know, the animal rights people, oh, we want to save the animals. No, the animals are going to die one way or another when they get in an overpopulated situation. So there's just an example, a very good one, Bill. That, uh, and the trappers there are probably making more money now than they did before because they can charge a lot more money for a nuisance removal than they could ever get out of that pelt. But there's still no reason, logical reason, at least in my mind, that they couldn't at least utilize the resource. So in California is another example.
2: Oh, California in the same week outlawed all fur trapping. They were down to very few trappers, less than 100, because the tools that were available to them were cage traps. That's all that was left. Um, so people weren't doing it. And um, they said it's not worth the Division of Wildlife out there. It's not worth their time to sell these licenses and, and you know police this issue. So they outlawed fur trapping. And in the same week, they appropriated $10 million to trap Nutria to eradicate them in California.
3: So
4: illogical. In the
2: same week.
3: (laughs) So illogical.
4: But anyway. Yeah, Colorado's been another challenge with some trapping laws. Uh, New Mexico recently um, outlawed trapping there on public lands. By one vote. In their state legislature. So, yeah, we have a lot of challenges around the country. Some of them you have to deal with legislatively. Other challenges are coming to the courts because the uh, anti- uh, they're very good at utilizing something called the Endangered Species Act, which, in my opinion, needs some changes. We're working on that. But uh, there's a little known uh, thing in government that is called the Equal Access Under Justice Act. So the antis can sue the U.S. government to stop trapping. Who pays their legal fees? Well, the government does. Our government pays people to sue them. Wow. <laughs> So we've we got a lot of challenges out there, particularly in some of your more liberal states. I mean, East Coast, West Coast are, are two of the biggest examples, but it's, it's sneaking into Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona. Um, be thankful you live in a in a hunter-angler-trapper-friendly state.
5: So, you know, we know, um, I think hunter numbers are going down. Uh, I'm not sure about trapper numbers. I, I link us together as, you know, I think we're mm-hmm. all on the same team. Um, and you guys are representatives of the national trapper association. Um, I know, you know, people behave in different ways on, on social media and such, uh, with, with photographs, um, and things like that. How do you guys recommend that hunters and trappers, um, if they were going to post a photo of a successful trapping spree, um, how do you suggest we go about that? Um, or is there a, is there a better way? You know, we've got a lot of non hunters out there that may be on the fence about things. Um, it's a good question. Doug. Do you suggest that we just go ahead and show the, um, show the gore or do we try to tone that down a little bit? I mean, am I asking that wrong? Well,
1: you see, no. some people like showing a live. Cody in a trap, you know, baring his teeth, and some sometimes I, I, I'm like, boy, I hope. I mean, not everybody would enjoy seeing that.
4: Now, if there is
1: that, where you're kind of going? To I lead? think so. Yeah, like, and and we, you-
4: we've dealt with some of those situations around the country in the last several years. And I think the the thing that that alienates people the most is the gore. Avoid a picture that has any blood in it with a live animal. Okay, I th- I think that's just a very simple one, right there.
2: Yeah, respect. respectful picture
5: yeah
4: show respect for the animal
5: i know there's different opinions on that in the in the hunting and trapping community some people say well that's just the way it is they can accept it that's my right or do you just try to be a a little bit more respectful um you know we were just talking about states that have outlawed uh, a lot of uh hunting and trapping and things like that so um, I would think that a lot of the reason that that gets outlawed is because we are not um, careful with the way we, we share uh, some of those photographs and things. Um, and, and, and I hate to bring that up and I hate to say well, no, it. But it's
4: an important point because it's something we have to be con- conscious of. Because public opinion is going to allow us to continue to do what we do or outlaws. Um, and, and
2: we have the segment that are solidly in our corner that we all live and breathe this. We have the segment that's going to be against us. Doesn't matter. What matters is that segment in the middle.
1: I agree. And if we
2: alienate the segment in the middle, we lose.
1: Yeah. And that's a big segment, too.
2: It is. That's the biggest segment. You're talking more like 80%. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So, again, I saw a picture several years ago. A guy caught his first wolf. I think it was out in Idaho and posted a picture of it in the trap. There was a lot of red snow in that picture. Mm -hmm. That didn't come across well. Now, just a just a coy, you know a coyote or a, or a wolf or anything in a good setting and no blood and the animals just there, are no different than a hunter posing with their deer or their turkey, in my opinion. Yeah,
2: and we're not saying don't take those pictures. Right. Okay. Share them with your friends. Don't share them with everybody.
5: Right. Um. And good. and I'd like to point out that the design of these traps are very humane. Um. They're they're designed to hold the paw, mm-hmm. and uh. uh we're trained to put that trap in the right place so you catch you know you're trying to catch that front paw um it's offset you know you there's something welded in this in this coal spring so to, to where there's a gap right here so uh it's not really completely closed uh, on the paw it's it's very humane in the way it's designed you have these swivels built into them so if the animal starts turning circles, um, it doesn't get all wrapped up. Um, and there's so much that, that goes into these, the design of these
1: things to make them very humane these days. Um, well, to, to Dudley's point, if a, if a, somebody's dog got in one of these traps, you could successfully
4: release it. Oh yeah, yes. we do we do several every year. Actually,
2: there are some great trapping associations that do workshops on how to release your dog or do pamphlets. And go to different, not the trapping conventions, but go to community events and teach people how to release your dog. Because it's simple.
4: Sure. Yeah. And the trap doesn't do that damage. Like you say, the, the offset jaws and the rounded corners on those jaws mm-hmm. It's important, too, to not have any cuts that are on the foot. Yeah. Clear, so we, we, clear, we always have a few incidentals like that. We had a cat last week. Yeah. And it was in one of the one-and-a-half coil spring traps. A house we have cat,
2: have, not a bobcat. With mm-hmm. the
4: rounded... Rounded to add additions mm-hmm. on the jaws and opened it up and that cap took off and it was running on all fours just mm-hmm. fine yeah, yeah well, I, see, I knew it was somebody's house cap so i turned it loose well see the a lot of
3: the public perception is that these traps have jaws that, that with teeth and you know that is so far from the truth um that's the, disney you know that is and the, the equipment we're using today is some of the most humane equipment that that, that ever has been um, the wide surfaces. I mean, people use those traps and they successfully release animals unharmed all the time. These
2: are the same traps that are used for relocation projects. Yeah, right. When they relocated otter, when they relocated any other species like that, wolves, they're trapped with the exact same traps that we use every day.
5: Yeah. I, they're I, not I consider myself a very uh, humane person. <laughs> and I think we all do. We have pets and we love our pets and, uh, it's just, uh, I, I don't understand where people get these mindsets that they have, but uh, it's just important that we're careful in the way uh, we do things uh, so we don't trigger those people that are in the in the middle, on, on mm-hmm. the fence, I guess you could say.
1: Karen, what, what are we forgetting? To, what are we not asking you about trapping that you need to tell? <laughs> and while you're thinking about that, I'm going to look at Dave, and Dave... Tell me, think about this. When we go back to her, she's going to tell me yeah. what she's uh, what, what we've not asked. I'd like you to tell a good trapping story, one that, uh, that means something like some good story that I know you have. I can look at you and tell you've got uh, a thousand yeah, I, good stories.
4: I, I don't know what there are ones I can tell here. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it could have been a really, you know.
5: Not necessarily I caught 40 in a week. You know, what What was something cool you experienced, maybe?
1: Something yeah. neat you've while seen. You, while you're thinking about that, Karen, tell us how to get in touch with the NTA and that, that kind of stuff.
2: Okay. Well, the National Trappers Association, we have a website, nationaltrappers.com.
1: Or just Google Whoa. it. Or
2: just Google it, please. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a .com, but please just Google it. Mm-hmm. Or your state association. The Mississippi Trappers Association, is. it, it was revived about. I, Chip will kind of like be like, I should know this, but five six years ago, they made a huge impact at reviving their organization, and it is strong. It is thriving. They are a great group of people, and if you have, if you're in Mississippi, you need to get in touch with them. And I know they have a website, but you can Google that as well. Mississippi Trappers Association. They are also an affiliate. Of the National Trappers Association. Almost every state in the in the union that has a trappers association is a member or what we call an affiliate of the National Trappers Association as well. Um, and I- I'm going to go ahead and give a plug for Fur Takers of America because it's the other national group. Um, for a long time... National trappers was more about the governmental stuff and the legisl- or legislative issues, that kind of thing, and being more active there. And fur takers was more about the educational part of, of getting trapping information to people. And really now, we work so closely together. I'm not saying we're exactly the same, but but we work together a lot. So fur takers of America, um, another national group... I, most of the most of the people in the leadership of both of those groups belong to each each one. We support gotcha. each other sure. a lot of crossover. completely yeah. Yeah. A, a lot. Uh, yeah. s-
5: support your conservation organizations. Buy the hunting mm-hmm. license. Buy the duck stamps. Um, we all need to be doing that,
2: and we all need to support each other. For I sure. think one of the biggest things, one of the biggest pushes with the National Trappers Association right now, we've had several um, conferences across the country trying to work together with other conservation organizations, other hunting groups, other um, um, angling groups. Uh, we need to support each other. Um, whenever something comes up, it's not us versus them. It, I mean, it is us versus versus them. We need to all stick together. So we need to support each other when those times come that, that we need the support and the help. Well uh, said. I,
5: I like to use a tank of gas as a reference point. Most of these conservation organizations, like the NTA, uh, are, are less than a tank of gas to join a year, um, or maybe mm-hmm. just a couple bags of fertilizer is an, is another good reference. Um, so join them, you know. Yeah, and, most and, of them
2: are about thirty dollars a year. Yeah, that's in you know, pocket change. Yeah, and and if and if you really are on a fixed, you know, like when we were a young family and we have two daughters, when we were a young family, we bought a family membership. It was about $2 more, but then our whole family was connected. Our daughters felt as much of the organization. They felt a part of it. And um, to this day, they still are all about trapping and and the outdoor pursuit. They all hunt.
1: Oh, that's good. And
2: one of them actually works for our Ohio Division of Wildlife. (laughs)
1: Right. Oh, good, good. Dave, you got a good story now.
4: Well, not so much just an individual story, but I will share one of the more interesting things that we do trapping. And that is the live otter market. Okay? okay. When we go to Louisiana, we have a, a, a USDA licensed dealer in Ohio that, uh, takes live otter from us and supplies to zoos and aquariums all over North America. And I, actually, a few years ago, our, our contact then shipped some to China too. So our, our goal is using one of those one and a half coil spring traps. They're like on the, on the table. We catch otter in those and then it's my job to take that live otter from that trap and put it in a cage. <laughs> that now, sounds interesting. It, it, it can get interesting. Um, I, I call myself the otter whisperer. <laughs>
5: so do you use the, the device that's like looks like the PVC pipe with the cable no, kind of thing no. like you no, would on a bobcat?
4: or No, because an otter doesn't really have a neck. <laughs> no. And if you put one in one of those devices – uh, it, it can go berserk. I'm
5: I'm thinking okay. it's almost like a shark it, or a, <laughs> an alligator. It just spins so
4: around or I use a piece of black plastic, uh, drain tile, double walled about a foot in diameter, about three feet long with a sliding door on one end. I'll go up to the, the animal in the trap. And I'm talking to it the whole time, trying to keep it. It's about stress reduction, trying to calm down the animal and say, Hey, this hole here is a good place to hide You're stressed. Come in here. I'll take care of your problems, you know? um and most of them will then run in that tube i shut the door the door's got a little notch in it so i can pull the trap and the foot outside of it open the trap up the animal pulls its paw in i've got it in the tube now i i made it sound easy (laughs) (laughs) yeah you did (laughs) we we've uh tried to teach this concept to several other trappers some of them are starting to get it but but it's a it's a it's a technique. He's been me, doing
2: it for 18 years. I've been that doing it a long it time. And, and
4: so I've got a lot of little nuances there that I I can't share. I mean, we probably me use the force a little bit. Uh, yeah.
2: Yes. Yes. Well, yeah.
4: <laughs> um, and, and I tell people, it's a little bit like, hey, have you ever taken a, a skunk out of a live trap? Um, <laughs>
5: I've heard. <laughs> don't you like put a blanket over it? And...
4: Exactly. The, the technique that I use is again, you talk to the animal the whole time you're coming up to the trap. Um, Use that calm voice, you know, don't yell or scream or make any sudden movements. Skunks don't like surprises. So go up very calm and gently take a blanket or a sheet or something and carefully place it over that live trap. Then you can pick that up and move that skunk anywhere and it, it's, it's going to feel secure inside that. So I use some, kind of that same technique with the otter, you know, and instead of the blanket, I'm providing that too, but I'm still using that same voice, trying to keep that animal calm and make it feel a little safer when I get there. So that, that's probably one of the more unique things that we do. It's a very limited market. Um, this year we don't have any orders, but uh, the last several years we have, and we've made a little money off of that. But that, that's probably the, the that's interesting. most interesting and, and fun thing that we do. I didn't know you could calm a skunk down talking to it.
5: Oh, yeah, you can calm yeah. it down. Yeah. yeah. Um, can, we, can we talk quickly about uh, the, the way to properly dispatch a skunk uh, to try to keep it from spraying?
4: Um, the the technique that I try to use when it's live in a trap is all again that 22 rifle. I try for a chest shot. It's not always a guarantee that it won't spray, but we've had oh maybe 50 percent that don't.
5: Oh gosh, that's not a great number. <laughs> not a <good> number. <laughs> now, that was, that's exactly what I've heard. The um you know you you hit the nervous system. They almost the head, always spray. They're going to
4: spray. Now some trappers will carry the proverbial ten foot pole. With a syringe on the end, with acetone in it, and again, you talk to the skunk, keep it calm, and you walk up there ten feet away, and, and the skunk'll face you at this point, and they'll get a chance. They'll put that that syringe right there in the skunk's chest, and when they get the opportunity, they quickly give it a shot of acetone in the chest cavity. Within seconds, the skunk'll lay That's down. That's an and ethical dry. way. Okay, yeah. and and it it almost always does not spray. Now, if you miss, you're jamming around trying to find it. No, you're going to make it spray. You've got to, again, have that technique and just give it a quick shot of that and back off. That's
5: do, interesting. Do mink eat turkey eggs? That's kind of random. but I don't know. I don't know why not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they I, eat mink,
4: meat and fish, so I, I
5: though. are opportunists. I, I think they're more common than people think. Are they?
4: What, mink? hmm Depends on where you are. Now, in Louisiana, they're very common around the crawfish farms. Other places in the country, they might be pretty rare. Okay. Depends on the aquatic habitat that's available that's an interesting animal yeah oh, yeah, yeah.
1: your wife got a mink coat uh, my mom does yeah my mom did too
4: Karen's got one I have one yeah
1: so what did we learn Dudley? Gosh
5: where do I start um I just i mean i I know that I enjoy trapping um, I know that it's a good thing uh you you combine good habitat with with uh, a little bit of trapping. And you can you can have a better habitat, better ecosystem.
1: Yeah. I think i would learned about these raccoon trails. I don't know that I've paid enough attention. You know, I'm doing around feeders, probably like what most people are, I assume. But uh, I'm going to start kind of trying to pay attention to that a little bit.
2: We're driving down the interstate, and he'll, he'll be driving. And he'll go, you see that coon trail over there? Did you see that coon trail over there?
4: Usually coming out from under a culvert.
5: Mm -hmm. oh culverts
4: uh, a good spot through the grass you can just see that little worn trail right out of the culvert that's nine times out of ten that's a coon trail
1: bill is there anything else we need to make sure we cover well i think we covered we covered the bases
3: how people can get involved in trapping this is one of the times when the deer seasons are shutting down people are looking for something to do that they can make a huge difference on their property and Trapping is one of those things. I mean, we're really busy right now. People are coming in. They're buying supplies because they're ready to start setting traps out. As the deer season's winding down, they're ready to do something so they can be prepared for turkey season. Um, the the educational aspect of it, National Trappers Association, your state trappers associations, they are all available and excellent resources for you to utilize. Um, they're just there. They're there for you to serve you to... To help you learn more about being a good trapper, um, I'm just thrilled that that Dave and Karen could make the trip up yeah, thank here you and guys for coming, yeah, uh, yeah and 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 open up those ideas for us because I know that a lot of your viewers are going to be
1: interested in doing that. Yeah, there's no doubt, and and let's not forget Duke traps. So, uh, you know, guys, you can Google Duke traps. You guys have a great website, very informative it's, itself, and you make a great product. It's I can't go anywhere and t- we we tell people, well, we're from West Point, Mississippi. They'll say, Well, that's where Duke Traps is. Do
2: you know? Oh, get out of Duke- here,
1: man. That's what people say to me. They say, Hey, that's where Mossy Oak is. West Point,
3: oh man, you're you're in a famous town.
2: And we've talked about some of the educational opportunities, especially for youth. One of the biggest supporters we have for those across the country is Duke Traps. Mm-hmm.
1: Or um, hit the horn, Richie. Wake up, Rich. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I was running the camera too. Yeah. Okay. No, we, we're, you know, do traps is, is awesome. Uh-huh. And, and um,
5: is anybody going to be at the National Wild Turkey Federation uh, National <laughs> there, Convention there this is, February?
2: There is. Um, I, our president John Daniel will be there working the booth this year. Excellent. Um, Dave and I just schedule wise we were doing it on our way home from trapping in Louisiana and finding a place to put our trailer, to plug in freezers and all that kind of stuff just became problematic.
5: Well, I'm going to sit here and challenge every listener that's going to the Mm -hmm. convention to walk up to that booth and join the national trapping association.
2: Thank you. And encourage
5: their friends to do the same.
2: And you will get to meet the president. I mean, he's, he's been the president for the last four years and a lot of the coalition building that we're doing and that we've sunk a lot of money into and time and effort is because of him.
1: Does he have all his
4: fingers?
2: Yes. Yeah, (laughs) and
4: he's a contractor, too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's dangerously. Again,
4: leaf. thank you for allowing us to be part of this podcast here today. It, it's 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 you know it's a great opportunity for us and for trappers <laughs> to get their message out. We certainly appreciate this opportunity and, and glad Bill called us to invite us up here today. Oh, it's been great.
5: Well, thank y'all for making a difference and leading by example and uh, just being awesome people. <laughs> I, I met two new friends. Yeah, today. It, it's you.
1: great to see a couple doing this. Uh, that I mean, I can see y'all's love for each other and y'all. Uh, it's just it's neat to see and I. I would just imagine y'all have a lot of fun. And, we do. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Definitely need to get Kelly involved. Yeah, yeah. That's what you need to do. So, well, if there's nothing else, I'm looking at Richie. He just woke up, and uh, Bill, you got a big smile on your face. That's a. It's well, boy. The weather driving home is going to be rough on y'all. Y'all be careful.
4: But it, this was a perfect opportunity. We pulled the traps on the the farms where we were because we had caught most of the animals there. <laughs> Now we get to do something enjoyable like this indoors while all this rain is coming down. I don't have to be out on the bike checking traps.
1: There you go. We can wait
4: till it stops raining and then go set another line. So it worked out great for us too. Thank you.
1: Good. Love it when
3: things work out, Bill, thank you for coming down here. Hey, thank you so much. I had so much fun last time and, uh, and I knew what to expect this time a little, (laughs) a little bit more. And, uh, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you guys for having
5: me on.
1: Yeah, we enjoy it. Uh, so we'll, uh, I'm looking around the room. I'm trying to see if there's anything else left to be done. Why don't you say goodbye, Dudley?
5: Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Richie.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife Magazine.
5: And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt Podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuzz Strickland.